as you're sitting down, um, just want to have a moment for the introverts. Uh, we've had a series where we spoke on worship, and uh, during this series, we've encouraged us as a church not just to have moments of worship in times together like this, but to live a lifestyle of worship. But in our moments of gathering, we've encouraged ourselves to, to express worship in different styles and different forms. And throughout this last couple of weeks, whenever we spoke on the lifestyle of worship, we tried to pair that with a word on worship, an expression of worship. And if you're an extrovert, you love this. I mean, uh, last week, people were dancing here in the front. Uh, the guys in the evening service... Um, made fun of me because you, you had a couple of people dancing here in the front. The evening service, like half the church was here in the front. And the more students and young people came forward, the, I just quenched back into the background. <laughs> and I got a little bit of slack for that. But uh, extroverts love it. When we went this morning, oh, we're going to shout to God. You're like, oh, thank God. I've been wanting to say something since I've said, since I've said that. But the introverts, like myself, we go, shout in church. And you try, you go, yes, Jesus. <laughs> but this morning's sermon is directed that regardless of our emotions and the way that God has wired us, we have a reason to shout. And our joyous celebration is not confined to our personalities or our emotions or our circumstances that we find ourselves in but to something far greater than ourselves. And as we've been doing throughout the service, we're looking at the life of David and specific occasions in David's life, and we look at what happened here and how does it teach us a life of worship. So if you have your Bible with you, I would love you to turn to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17 is a really familiar story of David and Goliath. We've looked at some accounts at the end of David's life and um, reflected over what he did over his life. But now we're going to look at one of the very first moments in David's life. This is almost the, the moment that sets the stage for what's going to happen for David's life. And there's a warning for us. If you grew up in church, you would know the story of David and Goliath so well. You already know what hap what's happening again. So that's the great reveal. David is still winning. I'm not going to preach something else this morning. But in knowing the story so well, becoming familiar with the outcome, we might miss the message that is directed for us today. And therefore this morning, we're not going to focus on the, the end of the story, but the details of the story. And I'm going to encourage you to read with me with open eyes and an open heart. Say, God, what do you want to teach me this morning? So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you this morning that we can be together, that we can be church, that we can gather as a spiritual family, Lord. And in gathering, it's for your names and it's for your name's sake and for your glory, Lord. And we want to worship you whenever we are together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that this morning we can not only learn more about who you are, but Lord, that we can be open for you to come and impart something in our lives. And therefore, Lord, I pray that you would, by your spirit and by the power of your word, come and speak to us this morning. 
Transform our hearts and our minds in such a way that we'll live lives that will give you honor and glory, lives that will walk in victory, that testifies about who you are and what you've done. So Lord, I pray that you would guide us in your truth in such a way that you will be glorified through our time together. We pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to read together from verse 4. Israel and the Philistines are facing each other in battle. Verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighted 600 shekels. Its shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not here, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man. And let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed, dismayed and terrified. Give me a man so that we will fight. Great detail is given to describe Goliath. Have you thought about this? Goliath, this champion of Philistine, great detail is given to describe him. If we were to translate in the modern language that we can understand just to highlight two of the things that they're saying. They're saying he was almost three meters tall. Lumpies, where are you? This is the moment I asked you. Lumpies, would you stand up? Would you just, would you come and join me here on the stage just for a reference? Okay. So beforehand, I asked Lumpies what his, uh, his height, and you were like close to two meters, 199, 199. Would you just raise both your hands above your head? No, up straight. You need to be three meters. Okay. I'll give you a rough estimate. Three meters tall. Just his body armor that was over his chest weighed almost 55 kilograms. Some of you weigh 55 kilograms. Goliath was a giant of a man. David was a teenager. He probably measured up to Goliath something like this. Thank you, Lumpies. You're a David at heart. Goliath must have been enormous and incredibly powerful. Why is so much detail given to describe Goliath. See, in describing Goliath, we are not just giving a, a, given a picture of this giant of a man. We are given a, a description of the impossible challenge that was set before every man. 
looking at Goliath, they must have gone, it is impossible to beat him. Defeating Goliath seemed impossible. What impossible circumstances are you facing? If you just think about the circumstances, if you think of all the details regarding the circumstances, it just seems impossible. Impossible to change, impossible to survive, impossible to go through this. It just seems impossible. There's just too much detail, too much challenges, too many obstacles. What impossible circumstances are you facing? Maybe it's relational circumstances. Maybe it's work-related. Maybe it's financial or health. But if you think about it, it is like a giant in front of you. And you don't know how you're going to, you don't know how you're going to go through this. What impossible circumstances are you facing? Now, David's not part of the army at this stage. David is still a teenager. He's taking care of his father's sheep. But his three oldest brothers, they're part of Saul's army. Saul's the king of Israel at this stage. And his father says to David, go to the army and go and find out if your brothers are okay. So I'm going to send them food, but just go and see if your brothers are okay. And David goes to the army, and then we're going to jump in here at verse 22. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. Now, there's a small detail that we haven't read now. Already for 40 days, Goliath has come out every day taunting the armies of Israel. 40 days have passed, which has come out and he said, Give me a man that will fight me. Taunting them. You cowards. Come on. Why does so many people have to die? Just give me one man that's brave enough to fight me. And the whole army in Israel, there's not one man that is brave enough. For 40 days, this has been happening. David gets there. there. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out, of, out from the lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. I think if this was South Africa, there was someone that gone, I'm a man. No taxes. Yes. But it's not South Africa. Poor soul. He's doing everything. Listen, if, 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 you, if anyone would just go. I imagine just the rewards behind this it's not it's not so much if anyone would go and win just would anyone go can you imagine the humiliation this army is facing the humiliation this king is facing there's no one willing to go 
David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just want to make sure. What will be done? And then he says the following. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Do go and read the story for yourself. Up until this moment of this account, there has been no mention of God at all. Goliath is described in great detail. The fear and the trembling of the Israel armies has been described. There's many things described up until verse 26. But no mention of God. This is the first time that God is mentioned in this account. It's almost as if Saul and the rest of the army have forgotten about God. Facing this impossible challenge in front of them, it's almost as if Saul and the army of Israel has forgotten about God. How often do we forget about God when facing incredibly difficult circumstances? How often do we forget about God when it's going incredibly good in our lives? And they're acting as if God is not there. And what, what effect does this have on the army? What effect does this impossible threat and the absence of God have on the army of God? Now, if I say the absence of God, it wasn't that God wasn't there. Just in their minds, God was absent. What effect did it have on the army of Israel? What well, we read, they were dismayed and terrified. Dismayed can also be translated as shattered. They were shattered, broken, broken emotionally, spiritually, and physically. This threat in front of them has broken all fight in them. They are shattered and terrified. Paralyzed with fear. We read somewhere else. And whenever he came out and he gave these threats, they wanted to flee. They wanted to run with great fear. They just wanted to get away. They wanted to escape. They lost heart. They became hopeless and discouraged. And, and Goliath threatened them, if you lose, you will become our subjects and serve us. The sad thing is, they were already subjected to Goliath's threats. His presence and his threats already had authority and control over their lives. It wasn't a threat anymore. They were controlled by his fear. That's what happened when we're faced with impossible threats and we forget about God. This happens to all of us, not just to the army of Israel. We get discouraged and we lose heart. 
especially if there's multiple challenges, if there's multiple difficulties, we become discouraged and we lose heart. And then we try to escape those circumstances. We try to flee, run away, instead of facing it. And people run away and flee and escape in different ways. Some people escape to food, comfort eating. Just feel there's something wrong, there's this tension, there's this fear, there's anxiety, comfort eating. Some people escape to alcohol, drink to forget, drink to feel better. Some people escape to different various forms of drugs and other substances just to lift me out of these circumstances, help me forget to run away. Some people escape to pornography, sex. We run to other things in order to escape the challenge that we're faced with. Discouraged, hopeless, trying to escape, paralyzed by fear. It's as if your life comes to a standstill. You don't know what to do. To the point where we're broken. We will lose all fight in us. And there's nothing left. Paralyzed by fear, broken, shattered, spiritually, emotionally, physically. And eventually, we are mastered and controlled by fear. We are no better than the armies of Israel. But David, David brings God into the situation. Who is this Philistine that he would defile the armies of God? Up until this moment, Israel is known as the armies of Saul. David goes, the armies of God. Saul finds out what David is saying and he calls David to him because David is saying, I'll fight. Give me a man, I'm the man. It comes to Saul, verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Just don't. Don't let anyone else lose heart because of what he's saying. Your servant, that is David, will go and fight him. I mean, this is a great story for a movie. <laughs> Let's be honest. No one's willing. Everyone's paralyzed with fear. He says, don't let anyone else lose heart. I will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, stuck, um, stuck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Not he will be like the bear and the lion because he's facing the mighty David. I mean, if I was Saul and I'm listening to David, this teenager going, you killed the, you, you, what? you killed the lion. 
like a baby one, like a lady one, or like a, like a lion lion. Tell me about it. Not just a lion, a bear. Wow. David says, he will fall, not because of what I've done, but because he's the father of the armies of God. And then he says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord will be with you. Now the narrative changes. Three things happen when David brings God into the situation. Up until this point, it has been absolutely hopeless and impossible. But David brings God into the situation. And three things happen. Firstly, David reflects over God's faithfulness. He goes to Saul. He says, God has saved me from the lion. He saved me from the bear. He reflects over God's faithfulness. He reminds himself of how God has already proven his faithfulness. The second thing, he stands in hope. Because God has been faithful, surely he will help me again. There's a hope that circumstances will change. There's a hope that, the li- that Goliath will be killed. Based on what God has already done. God will rescue, David says. And then the third thing, based on God's faithfulness and the hope that God will rescue again, there's acts of courageous faith. I mean, David steps out onto the battlefield. He's not just saying things. There's acts. He's acting on courageous faith because of God. Because of God, the narrative changes. When God enters any situation, everything changes. I mean, when God enters, what seemed impossible becomes possible. With God in the picture, hope is found in the situations that seemed hopeless. With God, peace overcomes fear. And with God, courage courage and faith are found in brokenness. God changes the narrative. So David steps out to face Goliath. Verse 42. As now Goliath, he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. 
battle belongs to God. This is such a powerful declaration of faith. Enough, Goliath. The world will know. And you will die. And the Philistines will die. Not by sword or by power. Not by my physical strength or my abilities. But by the Lord. The battle belongs to God. See, this was true for David. But is it true for us? Can we, like David, in any circumstances that seem impossible, confidently go, the battle belongs to God? It's one thing to read the story. It's one thing to get hyped up by the courage of David, but is it true for us? Thinking about an impossible situation that you're facing, does the battle belong to God? See, not only is the story about David and Goliath a great story that inspires faith and testifies and demonstrates something about God's greatness and His faithfulness, it is also a story that points us towards a greater story. The story of David and Goliath is not our story, it's a greater story. In this world, we will face a giant that we cannot defeat. It's a reality that all of us will face. We might overcome challenges and we might even outlast difficult circumstances. But all of us will someday face death. It's the great giant of this life that all of us will have to fight. And we cannot defeat him. We cannot defeat death. It is impossible. And because of sin, all of us are supposed to fear this fight. Because of the sin in our heart, all of us should fear the day that we have to fight death. Because we know it's a battle we cannot win. And when we die, we will face the consequences of how we lived. We will be responsible for our sin. It's an impossible fight with an inevitable outcome. And rightfully so, we should fear it. Far too often, we shy away of speaking about the realities of this world. Far often, more often than not, we want to speak about the mighty God of Israel and leave out the important part that there will be death and accountability of the way that we live. It's a giant we cannot beat. But Jesus, just like David introduced a different narrative, so Jesus brings a different narrative to the story of our lives. 
Jesus faced this giant that we cannot defeat. And Jesus defeated sin and death, something that we shouldn't become familiar with. Jesus defeated the giant that we'll never be able to defeat. He defeated sin and death. He was the only one able to do it. And because of him, and only because of him, we don't have to fear this giant. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear our sin. Because of him, our sin are forgiven. Because of him, we are freed. Just like Israel's army was freed because of David's courage, we are freed because of Christ. It's because of him. And if we choose to put our faith in him and what he's already done, then there is a hope that because of Jesus and his victory, we can be victorious in this life and the life hereafter. And then facing the impossible circumstances, we stand in the victory of Jesus, not in the might of our own courageous faith. Because of him, we are able to stand victorious. Paul explains this to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Every promise of God, the battle belongs to God, is fulfilled in Jesus. And therefore in him we can go, amen, let it be so, for the glory of God. And we can face all circumstances and confidently say, the battle belongs to God because of Jesus. God, let your will be done for your glory. This is why in the midst of uncertain, impossible circumstances, we can reflect on God's faithfulness. And we can remind ourselves, when everything screams at us and says it is impossible, we can go, if I look at the cross, God is faithful. If I look back over my life, God is faithful. If I look at the cross, he has already delivered. He has already come through. He has already demonstrated his love. He has already defeated death. He has already defeated sin. That thing that you're facing, that thing that you're going through, it is nailed with Jesus to the cross. It is already defeated. God is faithful. And I can take hope and stand in the hope of God's promises that because of Jesus, his promises is true for me. And he will rescue. And he will come through. And even when it doesn't look like he's rescuing, he promises he will never leave you. We can stand in the hope that because of Jesus, we are forgiven for our sins. We are children of God and he does care for us. And he is possible to do the impossible. And we stand in the hope of his promises. And from that, we act with courageous faith. But our courageous faith is not going out and fighting. Our courageous faith is standing in what Jesus has already done. And we say, it is enough. Courageous acts of faith goes, you are Lord and I am not. And Lord, because you are Lord, 
How do you want me to act in this? The battle belongs to you. You are my Lord and my faith is in you. What are you asking me to do? What acts of obedience are you calling me to? And out of faith, we follow Jesus. Because the battle belongs to him. That's why we worship victoriously. Regardless of our emotions, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our personalities, we shout a praise of victory because God has already won. The battle belongs to him. So this morning as we end, I want us to close our eyes. And for a moment, I want to ask, can you reflect over God's faithfulness in your life? Is this something that you can look back over the lion, the bear in your life where God has proven himself faithful? Can you look back to the cross of Jesus and remind yourself of his faithfulness? And as you're doing this, don't you want to thank him? Don't you just want to worship him? Thank him. Maybe this morning as we're reflecting over God's faithfulness, there's someone sitting here and the narrative of your story has not yet changed. In your story, God is still absent. If that's you this morning, I don't want to expose you or humiliate you at all. But if you know God is absent in your story, Don't you want to stand up? Don't you want to say, God, I need you. I want to put my faith in you as the Lord and Savior, the one that's already won. There's anyone this morning. Thank you, Yurinti. Yurinti is there. You're welcome to just go out and pray into that, please, Yurinti. But this morning, I want to create an opportunity for everyone that's facing an impossible situation. It's not a moment to be paralyzed by fear. It's not a moment to feel you have to fight this thing on your own. It's a moment to go, the battle belongs to God. And if you're facing an impossible situation, impossible circumstances, regardless of what that might be, would you stand in this moment?
And I want to do things a little bit different this morning. I want to ask if you're sitting close to someone that's standing, would you come around them? And can we pray for them in this moment? I want to create a moment where we just pray into people's lives now and we turn our focus onto God and we pray that God would come through, that the battle belongs to Him, that we stand in the gap for those that's facing these difficulties. And we pray and we ask God, would you come through? Remind us of your faithfulness. Remind us of what you're doing. And I'm going to give us a couple of moments just to pray into this and pray for each other. If there's not someone praying with you, just raise your hand as there's more people standing in this moment. But if you need prayer, you need people to pray with you, just raise your hand. Those of you who are standing with someone else, let's pray now in this moment. Let's pray for them. Yes, Lord, thank you that in this moment we can stand in the confidence that the battle belongs to you, Lord. And Lord, you know exactly what every person is facing, Lord. You know exactly the circumstances that they are confronted with, Lord. The detail of their challenge, Lord. The impossibility of their circumstances, Lord. But Lord, we know you. We know that nothing is impossible for you, Lord. And through your faithfulness and what you've already done on the cross, Lord, we appeal to you as your children in this moment. And we pray, Lord, may you move in might and power, Lord. May you bestow us with your grace and your presence, Lord. May you bring peace to our hearts, Lord. May you restore joy to our souls. But, Lord, we pray that you would move now mightily. And we ask that we'll see signs and wonders. I pray that you would come and bring breakthrough in these circumstances, Lord. I pray that you would come and bring provision and healing. And Lord, that you would move in such a way 
that the world will know that you are a God, the only God, the only one worthy of worship. Lord, as we stand this morning in the hope that we have, in your faithfulness and what you have already done, Lord Jesus, we say, Lord, would you lead us live in such a way in the midst of these circumstances that you will be glorified because Lord it's about you it's not about us and Lord thank you that we can in faith with the expectation in our hearts appeal to you appeal to your goodness appeal to your power pray Lord would you come and change circumstances fill us with your love fill us with your joy and your peace Lord make us aware of your presence Lord desperately need you Lord without you Lord we are paralyzed to fear paralyzed to circumstances and therefore Lord I pray this morning that you will bring life to our souls give us courage and faith to live in such a way that it honors you Lord pray this in your name Lord Jesus and all of us say Amen I want us to go back to David's words. When he threatens, threatens Goliath, he says, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. We worship so that the whole world will know that there is a God in every nation, Swanee Willows. There is a God in Equestria. There is a God in Pretoria. And there is a God in South Africa. And there is a God in this world. And He's worthy to be worshipped. So this morning is not an appeal to be like David. This morning is an appeal to turn to Jesus as our David. To walk faithfully following him with him in front of us and regardless of what we go through we worship in victory so that the world will know there is a God Jesus said to his disciples I'm going to give you a sign and the sign is there to remind you of what I've done Jesus instituted communion and he said, this is the sign of my body that was broken and my blood that was shed. Body that was broken for our sins and Jesus' blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. This is the sign of my faithfulness. The faithfulness of the Father. This is the sign that you are loved, that you are cared for. This is the sign that there's victory for you. This is a sign. Do not fear. So this morning, we're going to participate in this sign. And we're going to share in the communion, and we're going to use communion to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness. And in doing that, worship Him. So I want to encourage you to stand up, and you can do this as an individual, or as a family, or with friends. There's communion here in the front and communion there at the back. And let's use the next moments to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness and what Jesus has done. And from sharing in communion, don't you want to thank God and worship Him? So let's stand and let's share.
in communion together.